Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone, on the 21st of January here on Mornings with Carmen. This is our two. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen, who late morning, early afternoon yesterday, you know if you've been listening that she has been under the weather, but late morning, early afternoon yesterday, she texted me and said, you know, it just is not getting better. It looks like it's going to be a rough day and evening. And so she's quite the gamer, uh, Paul Perot. And, and if she, she steps is. aside for being ill, you know it's the real deal. For me, if I get the hint of a sniffle, it means I'm probably going to be bedridden for about two, three, four months, perhaps, <laughs> to just make <laughs> make sure I get over it. But Carmen, uh, she just so loves being a part of this morning's with all of you listening. It's part of the Faith Radio family. And uh, I want to revisit something. And let's bring in Adam Holtz as well, Paul Perot, that we were talking about last hour with Dan DeWitt. And that is about the shape of evangelism that I, I think we have a great opportunity as the, the people of Jesus that, that are shining light in the world in a new kind of way, because the world is so heated, so polarized, there's so much anger and hatred and violence. And if we can just in simple ways be disruptively kind, we can shine a different kind of light in the world. And I want to ask Adam about that in just a second, but I'd love to get your ideas as you're part of this Faith Radio family too. If you want to just text in some simple ideas this morning to 877 877- Nine three three two four eight four about in our daily lives how we can be disruptively kind. Adam, I was just talking at the end of last hour that my wife Hallie and I practice the the simple idea of just tipping a little bit absurdly, so, something that would get attention. If we have a little bit of extra money, maybe we forego the carrot cake at the end of the meal and use that carrot cake money and add it to the tip. And, and over time, that's really caught the people's attention that we're in this establishment that we frequent regularly. This isn't actually that hard at the end of the day. Yeah, I love that. And I think that it's it's about looking for small ways in your ordinary habits and patterns to do things that that might catch somebody's attention. Now, I don't know if this has an evangelistic component, and I, I can't even say that I do it particularly purposely, but I love the whole pay for the person behind you yeah. in in the coffee store line. Um, and, and I actually had that done for me a couple of weeks ago. And I was in this really self-absorbed, grumpy, kind of <laughs> nasty headspace. And I get to the window and they're like, oh, the people ahead paid for you. And that moment of kindness, what it did, and I think what kindness can do, is it snapped me out of my self-absorption. Mm. I'm like, wow, somebody I don't even know just did something kind for me. And so I think that when we – to cultivate kindness – and I – haven't thought about it before you and I talked about it briefly before the show, but it requires being other centered Mm. when all I, when all I'm doing is focusing on myself, it's unlikely I'm going to be spontaneously kind because on any given day, I usually have enough problems to just keep focusing on myself. Like (laughs) honestly, right. That's that's life. And I, and I think about what Jesus talks about with, um, you know, in the, the parable of the sower that the seed that's, that was, um, choked out by weeds, it was the, you know, 
the worries of this life, the desires for other things, and the deceitfulness of wealth. And um, Eugene Peterson says they were stressed out by everything they had to do and everything they wanted to get. Mm. So activity and materialism, I think, are the enemy of being – well, not activity, but being so focused and self-absorbed with my activities that I can't see other people. Those are the enemies of kindness. And so I think as we can cultivate some little ways of getting, you know, get over yourself. Yeah. And there's a whole world. There's 7 billion people out there. <laughs> and some of them probably could use a small act of kindness today. Anyway, I'll stop with the sermon. I didn't no, really I love it. to give a sermon. But there you go. I love it, Adam. That's uh, incredibly helpful. And we'd love to just hear from you this morning. We're already getting some text in about just simple acts of kindness within the daily flow of regular life that can disrupt us, wake us up, or in the, the wise words that Adam Holtz just gave us, snap us out of our self-absorption. It really does shine some light in the world. We'll be back in just a moment with Adam, who is from PluggedIn.com, and we're going to talk about the movie Redeeming Love. About 10 minutes past the top of the hour here. It's Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner. We are joined by Adam Holtz this morning from PluggedIn.com. We have been talking about simple acts of kindness here throughout the day, and uh, there is a kindness initiative kindness available. Kindness always initiative. Right? Yeah, yeah, why don't you tell us about that, Paul Perot? Well, just go to our website, uh, myfaithradio.com, and look for kindness always initiative. You can do a search for that. But basically, what we've been talking about, encouraging you to show acts of kindness, especially in the world these days where there's just so much anger, so much angst, so much, uh, you know, people overwhelmed with grief because of what we've been going through, pandemic and plus, showing those acts of kindness to talk like Adam did, to snap people out of their their funk. Indeed, whatever. and it's been fun reading your text coming in this morning about different ideas of kindness. Please keep sending them to 877 933 2484, one of you wrote in, makes me think of Ragamuffin gospel movie and how he only ever made the average American income and gave the rest away. And boy, oh boy, there is a certain level uh, of need that we have. But beyond all of that, money tends to enslave versus uh, help us out. And Adam, just appreciate what you brought into the show as well. Let's turn the topic to Redeeming Love, a movie that came out that seems to be advertised as a bit of a faith-based movie. But at the end of the day, oh brother, what it's teaching us about matters of sexuality is a bit dodgy. Yeah, that is exactly right. So um, just as a preface, I've seen a lot of movies in the last 20 years in this job. Somewhere north of a thousand I've done reviews for and I've seen lots more that I've edited. Um, this one caught me flat, flat-footed and left my jaw on the floor. And if you're not familiar with this, Redeeming Love is um, a novel written by Francine Rivers, who's an incredibly popular Christian historical fiction and romance author. And she took the story of Hosea and Gomer from the Old Testament, which, as you'll recall, God calls Hosea to love Gomer, who's a prostitute, even though she is going to continue returning to her wayward uh, and and really uh, unrepentant ways. Uh, that's how it's depicted in the Old Testament. Now, in this story, uh, this is set in 1850 in a fictional California gold mining town called Paradise. Get it? Paradise. <laughs> uh, and there's a farmer named Michael Hosea, 
and he's in town one day, and he sees uh, the town's most uh, famous, infamous, and beautiful prostitute. Her name is Angel. Every day, men line up um, and do a lottery to be the one who can be with her that day. I mean, she's sort of like the town prize. And it's, it's actually really horrific what she has gone through. And the movie gives us her backstory, how her mother um, had her. She was illegitimate. Her father ultimately rejected them. Her mom ended up in a life of prostitution and died. And Angel literally grew up in a brothel. And it's implied that, you know, she was a prostitute even when she was a little girl. So it's the only thing she's ever known. And this story is about Michael basically having a sense that God has called her him to, uh, to marry her. And he pursues her... Um, with incredible intentionality and he's not put off by, uh, by her. And she does the same thing. She, she returns over and over to the life of prostitution here. It's not so much because she wants to be sinful or that she's even rebellious, but she's so utterly broken. She has no idea what to do with Michael's unconditional love. And she keeps feeling like at some point he's going to recognize her for the worthless thing she thinks she is and reject her. So it's sort of a, it's a, this continual preemptive rejection of him, you know, so that she is in control. Um, okay. So far, so good. I think you could have told this story in a way that could have maintained all of that. And there's some great stuff here. Um, this is the most sexually explicit Christian movie I have ever seen. There are multiple, there are multiple sex scenes. There are two sex scenes uh, and I know I'm talking really bluntly that the total screen time is almost four minutes. So this isn't, you know, walk into a bedroom, give each other a look, shut the door. And the next morning, you know, the camera zooms in and we see their bare shoulders and we know what's happened. Uh, we know what's happened because we see it and they barely keep it in the PG 13 zone. Um, mm. But I couldn't believe they got away with what they did and then there are multiple other scenes where she is unclothed completely and things are strategically kept out of the camera's sight. But again, the overall feeling of those scenes, uh, and I'm going to use a really strong word that I don't use very often, it's a very erotic movie. Um, and my sense was I didn't – for me personally, it felt gratuitous in that I didn't feel like they needed to go so far to make the point. Um, and I think, man, for anybody who has ever wrestled with pornography or erotica or sexual addiction, this movie should come with an, an enormous trigger warning. And frankly, I can't imagine many Christian wives who would want their husbands to see this movie. Um, mm. But that's not how it's being marketed. And I think I think there are a lot of people that are going to be in for a shocking surprise. And you're going to be sitting there in the theater thinking, do I get up and leave because of what I'm seeing? Yeah, Adam, uh, we're going to step away for a short break, but I want to tee up where we want to go with this next, because I think what you've aptly described, uh, unfortunately, for a lot of our young people that are taking in this kind of media today, that this is this is maybe more common than we realize. I know, oh, yeah. I, I know, you know, I teach a sexuality class here at the University of Northwestern St. Paul these last eight years. And boy, Adam, when they are willing to crack open. It usually takes about three to four weeks in a semester, maybe six to eight, where they where they trust the environment enough to crack open what's going on. 
I, I think my takeaway from some of that, and this is what I want to get your perspective on here coming up next, is that it's not that our young people haven't been taught about sexuality in our culture. It is that there are so many teachers about it, uh, including oh, movies yeah. like this. And, and our teachers have been absolutely rubbish. And I think we underestimate the impact these movies that seem maybe like, well, you know, their kids will be kids, right? But it really has having an impact. So up next, Adam, let's talk about that and what you've seen even yep. over the years in your reviews of these kind of movies and how it's affected us. So stay with us here. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmela Burge here on the 21st of January. It is 19 minutes past the top of the hour. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LaBerge this morning. We've been having a conversation with Adam Holtz related to the movie Redeeming Love. Some of you texted in and asked me to repeat the name of that movie. One to avoid the movie again is Redeeming Love. And part of the reason why we want to avoid it is because of the explicit content involved. And Adam, before the break, you and I were talking about the effectiveness of the, the teaching that's going on. It's not that our young people haven't been taught about sexuality, but, but the venues through, through which they're being taught, like movies and video games even, and our school systems and, and, so many, and, and just peer conversations, there's a lot of teaching and there, that has yielded a ton of confusion. I'm sure you've seen a lot of this over the years as you've reviewed movies. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think sexuality is probably the biggest worldview issue that we deal with, not only in movies, but, you know, in TV and kids shows and music. You know, we have a huge movement toward embracing all things LGBTQ, even in kids shows. And I'm going to give about a 10 second blast on where I think this has come from in terms of worldview. In the 60s, we tossed out the idea of God in, in large measure in mainstream culture, but we're hardwired for a transcendent experience. We're going to look for transcendence somewhere else. And for a lot of people, sexuality is the next best apparent substitute. But you and I know that our sexuality is a good gift from God. It's meant to unite us in marriage, uh, a man and woman in a covenantal relationship. And the, the fruit of that is children, that there are those two purposes. And that reflects a part of God's character. But our sexuality was never in, designed to carry the entirety of our identity. And that's where we're at today, where we get this message that sex is the most important thing about you, and it shapes your entire identity. And so we see that reflected in so many ways, and we get a distorted perception of that. And that is paired with um, what I call, this is a, maybe somebody else has said this, but I call it radical individual sovereignty. Hmm. We're way past individualism in our culture. We're to the place where we're all our own little gods and goddesses, small g, um, and we think we get to shape reality. And when you put those two things together, you're going to get a quest to find sex satisfaction in sex that is never going to work, right? And right. it will lead to addiction. It will lead to destruction. Uh, and as Christians, we actually have a middle-of-the-road path. We say – uh, you know, the, the secular culture says, oh, it's nothing. It's a biological function. It's like sneezing or it's everything. It's your entire identity. We have this alphabet, you know, train of letters to describe it. Um, Christianity says sex is not nothing. It's important. There are consequences to it, but it's not everything either. Um, and so I think as Christians raising our kids in this culture, we have to give our kids the tools to critique 
the sexual worldview that is coming at us, which says that that the sexual experience is the prime component of self-actualization mm. um, because it's not. Uh, it just isn't. And and I don't say that to demean it. Sex is an amazing thing that God has given us, but it was never intended to be the absolute centerpiece of our lives. Yeah, and I think what you're saying here, Adam, is so important to um, to, to, to wonder about uh, a bit. We've been talking a bit about disruptive acts of kindness this morning, and I bring that up because Walter wrote in and, and talked about the kind of uh, kindness we're talking about is an agape love. It's an other-centered love, and oh, I'll yeah. read some more of these texts in a bit, but we only, in, in our culture, seem to have the, uh, the way we interpret love is through more of an eros. These are some of these Greek terms, historic Greek terms for love. Agape is a self-sacrificing love. Eros is sort of this romantic, passionate sexual love. And that really is the only lens through which we can interpret these days. It's at least the way we've been taught to interpret our need for intimacy, our need for friendship and relationship. I think, Adam, if we could just restore what's called filial love or brotherly, sisterly love, friendship love, the city of Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. If we just lived our lives in that kind of love, we probably wouldn't need to interpret everything through sexual love anymore. But our young people are feeling so isolated and alone in that lack of filial love, then they say, well, I'm just going to watch a movie like Redeeming Love, and that's where I'm going to find my outlets then for the, the needs of intimacy I have. No, that's exactly right. And, and I think that you're right to talk about our brokenness and isolation and maybe an act of kindness, either with other Christians or with non-Christians, is just inviting people into relationship, taking that initiative pulls them out of isolation. And as a church community... Um, I think there's always space for us to get better at that. I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to shame anybody here uh, because I'm not great at it either. But again, as we were talking about earlier, lifting my eyes up from my own self-absorption to focus on how can I be a blessing to somebody else today in a big or a small way that might make a difference for them. And maybe it makes a difference for them in this really important area of their lives, you know? Yeah, Adam, one more thought on this. I know we're, I guess we're just going to stay on this time. We had a lot of different movies yeah. we could cover, but this is such an important topic. And we have some texts coming in, as they should, saying that these are movies we should avoid. And, and I understand that that impulse to want to avoid them. Is there any role in, in some of these movies? Our kids are going to be watching them, and our grandkids will be watching them from time to time in, in ways we always don't know about. But like last night, for example, I was sitting with three of my children, and my oldest son brought up the movie Tick, Tick, Boom, which is this musical with Andrew uh-huh. Garfield and, and Lynn Manuel Miranda writing some of the music for that. And there are some uh, difficult sexual themes in that, including highlighting the AIDS epidemic from the 1990s. And I don't always know, Adam, when we should avoid these things or when we should sit with our kids and actually then talk about these things with them. Do you have any advice on that? Well, I don't think it's a one size fits all answer. I think we need to be in relationship with our kids to know what their sensitivities are. I think we also have to acknowledge that the world is having this conversation, whether we want to have it or yeah, not. Yeah. And so, and I think there's a difference between themes and words and images. Images work on us differently. So I would be more cautious about sexually explicit, explicit imagery and depiction perhaps than conversations about it, because we need to be taking the lead and talking about it with our kids because the culture absolutely is going there. Yeah, indeed. Adam, thanks so much for the insight that you bring into the program, snapping us out of our self-absorption as well with just regular acts of disruptive kindness, talking a bit about uh, the sexual explicit themes in our culture. Just so appreciate what you do week in and week out. 
Thanks so much, Peter. Yeah, looking forward to catching up again. We'll take a short break. And at the bottom of this hour, I'll read several of your texts that have been coming in about simple and disruptive acts of kindness. That There's more to it than just being kind in the world. This actually does shine an evangelistic light of the good news of the kingdom of God. More in a moment. Well, thanks for the text coming in this morning. We just got a text from Kathy asking if Carmen has COVID. And uh, Carmen has been sharing this. She's been feeling ill this mm-hmm. week. She has tested negative thus far, but she definitely is under the weather at this point. So I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today. Paul, we've been talking about stories of simple but even disruptive acts of kindness that kind of jar us loose out of mm-hmm. our self-absorption, both the, ourselves but the people around us. A lot of texts coming in this morning. You want to read a, a yeah, few of those? Yeah, well, we heard from Ann already who talked about the idea of what some people people call the drive-through difference, paying for the person behind you. I love the that. Drive-through line. Uh, another person talking about, you know, just keep it simple. Smiling, saying hello may not give you immediate feedback but planting seeds of being recognized in the other by uh, recognizing the other person acknowledging a homeless person holding up a sign saying i see you whether yeah. you give a handout or not indeed, but, indeed. you know just letting people know we see you yeah it's a great opportunity for the evangelism of the today of uh, today is not just telling the story the biblical story of jesus who came and died on the cross and and rose from the grave, thus breaking the power of sin and death. We demonstrate that breaking of the power of sin and death in the way that we treat one another, and we can shine his light in the world. So keep those texts coming in at 877-933-2484. Simple but disruptive acts of kindness. Up next, we'll be joined by Vanitha Reisner, an author of Walking Through the Fire. We're going to talk about helping the hurting, what it means to walk through suffering, and even having a word that we can ponder for this year. This is Max Licato. Many years ago, a man came to see me regarding his wife's boss. The boss had demanded extra work and offered poor compensation. The husband confronted the man. The supervisor owned up to his mismanagement and made amends. The wife was grateful, but the husband was still angry. He could not forgive the man. So he wrote a letter containing an account of the offending actions. He brought it to my office along with a box of matches. He read the letter to me. The husband asked me to pray and watch as he burned the letter. We did. Matthew 6.14 says, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Being the recipient that you are of God's great grace, does it not make sense to give grace to others? This is Max Lakato. I'm smelling coffee, birds are singing just outside. Here comes your mercy streaming in with the morning light. About 22 minutes before the top of the hour. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge, and we are joined by author Vanitha Reisner this morning. She's joined the program a number of times over the years to talk about just different dimensions of life, specifically some of the dimensions of life where it gets hard and there's some suffering and difficulty involved. And we're going to talk a little bit about that with Vanitha this morning. But up first, uh, Vanitha also does a word of the year each year. And Vanitha, tell us what went into this for you. When did you start doing this? What have been some of the words or the phrases that you've had for each year and how has that impacted you? Ah, great question. Um, Well, I have been doing a word for the year for about 12 years. And I did it because somebody had suggested it to me because I used to do these New Year's resolutions and I would spend all this time and write them all down and 
probably within a week and definitely by the end of the month, they were totally gone. And I felt one, I didn't remember them and it was super stressful to look at them and see how I'd failed. So I just stopped doing that. And then somebody had suggested they did a word for the year. And honestly, I had the same word for three years in a row, the first time I did it. And that was <laughs> encourage. And like, finally, I went on to a new word because I wasn't, it was really to encourage my kids because I can be like, see what they're doing wrong way more than what they're doing right. And so I had encouraged for a while. And then, then I realized like, I'm never going to, I'm never going to master a word. So I kept wanting to do the same one thinking I could master it, <laughs> but I realized we're sort of in process. And a lot of times I do have words that are sort of related, but I don't feel like I have to be perfect with it. I realize it's a process. And if I can remember to encourage somebody and that word kind of comes to mind, then God can really use that. And I've gotten to the point now where I do more with the word, like I spell it out in blocks in my office. And so I see it every day because I think it's really easy to forget about something that you do, even if it's meaningful when you do it. I get busy and I forget. And I mean, there were years early on that I couldn't remember my word for the year. And I was like, it's one word. Do you think I can remember it? <laughs> but now I write it in this prayer card. I pray for myself first every day because I need more prayer than anybody. And um, I have it on that. So it's like I start the day thinking, help me to do this. And so that has been a great practice for me. And I'm I'm really learning to give this to God and see that it's not my work that God can do this in me. So it has evolved over the years. And I'm really, I get really excited about picking it and seeing how God's going to use it in my life. Cause I have started to see that God is using my word to change me and to, to help mold the way I think. Hmm. And Anita, we're going to get into the, the phrase actually that you chose for this year in 2022. But before we do, as you think back then towards those words or those phrases that you've had for a given year, do you sense that uh, there's some leading from God as you pray about maybe what this word or this phrase might be that um, takes some of the mystery sometimes out of out of maybe what God is inviting us into and and, and you can really discern what that word or phrase might be? Yeah. So what I usually do in December is I start just by picking words, you know, just sort of prayerfully sitting. I, I usually do it actually in my time with the Lord in the morning. Like, what are, what are some things that I, um, you know, just asking God, what are some things that you are doing in my life that I need to be more aware of? And often it comes from a book I'm reading or something I'm reading in scripture. So I'll just write down probably five or six words and I will just sort of pray and say, Lord, like show me through something what the word should be. And, um, inevitably he does. It's not this mysterious process. And I, I totally feel like I could pick different words and God would use them. So mm. it's not like this finding God's secret will for my life in this one word. It, it really could be any of those words. And I feel like God would use them. So it's just sort of saying, what what are the areas that I see in myself that I see that God is wanting to, to sort of uh, prompt me to be more aware of. And and that's what I love about the word is it just raises my awareness for whatever it is that I um, have for the year. So it's not a goal as much as a, somewhere I want to be changed. Hmm. Well, take us into what 2022 looks like for you and the, and the phrase that you've chosen. Um, well, this year my word is present and it's sort of being present, but the word itself for me this year is present. And I chose that because there's so many ways where I'm not present, Peter. I feel like I'm not present sometimes even to myself. Like if I'm tired, I push through, I forget, I don't pay attention to that. And so I felt like, wow, I need to be present to my own body. Like I have resisted taking a nap 
because I think, <laughs> oh, I can push through, I can do it. And it's like, why can't I take a nap if I, if I'm able to? And so, um, you know, there's the dentist when I had a cracked tooth and, you know, it was because I hadn't taken care of things in my own life. Even though I take care of, you know, my family and stuff, I feel like I wasn't present to myself and then being present to God. I mean, that was the big thing is sometimes I think I have my time in the morning and then I'm not really paying attention to what God might be doing throughout the day. And so I really wanted to notice because, uh, you know, a friend once said, and I've read it, you know, God is always talking to us, but are we listening? And I think often we're not present. So we're not noticing even when God is working in the little things in our life. And then um, lastly, it's being present to others because mm. I honestly can be a huge multitasker. So you know, I'm on the phone often just cleaning up my desk or I like to talk on the phone to my friends in the car because I want to be doing something else. But sometimes I miss nuances of what they're saying. I, I miss things in the conversation with people. And that's a disservice to them and to me because our relationship isn't as deep as if I was 100% listening to the words that they said. So all of those different ways, I felt like the Lord was saying, be present, be where you are, pay attention to where you are. And it was funny because I was listening to an old podcast, but um, someone had sent it to me. It's um, Fight, Hurry, Stop, Hustle, or maybe it's Stop, Hustle, Fight, Hurry, one of those two. And um, they were talking about being present. And I thought, wow, Lord, that's that's a confirmation to me as they were talking about what that meant. I thought, yes, I need to be present to every moment of my life. So that was a really good confirmation. Yeah, I love that. And when you reference the nap just quickly too, I want to say that my favorite literary character of all time is the cat Garfield, who was capable of taking a nap in, in, in any given yeah. moment in those comic strips. But that does require being present, as you said, just even something as simple as a nap. And uh, I'm thinking ahead to this weekend already, Vanitha, and just even that idea of thinking ahead. And I'm a single parent for the weekend. My wife is overseas with my uh, second uh, oldest child. And, and I'm already thinking, okay, I've got this for Friday night. I've got this for Saturday. I got this for Sunday. And as I'm always thinking ahead and anticipating what I have to do and what's coming and be prepared for that, that kind of life, which is a, which is a simple life, uh, but it's a busy life. I, I would think that busyness and planning and thinking ahead is just one of those areas that prevents us from living in the space in which we find ourselves with the people that we're with, with the God that we're with daily, with ourselves as we walk it out. So maybe speak a little bit about that just in terms of busyness and how that prevents us from being in the space that we currently are. Yeah. Well, I think busyness is something I really struggle with. Like I like to, you know, schedule meetings back to back so that I don't have time in between. And often I miss like at the end of a meeting, I'm thinking, oh, I've got this other meeting. So I miss so much. And I find like with my kids, when they want to talk often, I'm thinking, okay, wait, I I've got to do something. Whereas if I wasn't busy and I'm really trying to be less busy so I can be all in and I don't have to be worrying about the next thing I need to do but thinking this is the most important, this very moment that I am in is the moment that God has called me to. And I need to be focusing on what I am doing now rather than thinking, what am I going to be doing later? Now, that's obviously not to say we can't plan because I think, you know, God uses that. But I think sometimes we over plan and we are so busy thinking about what we're going to do next that we aren't where we aren't thinking about what we are doing right that moment. And I have found, even in this short period of time, just thinking about how I feel or what's going on in the moment has opened me up to so many little things I would have missed if I was so busy to to move to the next thing. 
So I've been really grateful just even in little conversations with my, um, with friends, I notice little things like, Oh, it sounds like you might be kind of down. Like, tell me more about that. Whereas if I'm really busy, I'm thinking, okay, I have 15 minutes for this phone call. I don't, I don't, I don't notice things and I don't really dive into what people are saying. Mm. I love it. We're chatting with author Vanitha Reisner about the word for the year in 2022. We're getting some texts in, Vanitha, of people's word for the year. I would love to hear all of your words for the year if you have one or, or think you might be attending to one this year. You can text them into 877-933-2484. We'll read them here after a short break and continue the conversation with Vanitha Reisner. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for this morning on the 21st of January. We've been chatting with Vanitha Reisner about a word for the year. Vanitha's word has been present or being present in a variety of circumstances. I invited you to text in your words for the year as well, and we are getting these texts coming in. You can do that at 877-933-2484. Vanitha, Mary just wrote in and said that found that her word for the year uh, for a few years now is the word shalom. And she says that she likes the idea of journaling about it as well. Have you ever journaled about your word that you've chosen for that year? Yes, I actually even start off um, journaling, like, what does this word mean for me for the year? And honestly, because I write a blog, that makes me really think about it because I write why I why I chose the word. And I often write in my, my journal um, throughout the year, like, wow, Lord, help me be more present or whatever the word is. And um, one of the hard things, though, about being super public about a word when you write about it on your blog is everybody knows that word <laughs> so they can hold you accountable to Mass accountability. I love it. Yes, especially <laughs> children. That is always a real joy when, when you know, you're working on something and they're like, I don't, I don't think you're really doing that. Like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Just pick your own word and stick to that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, well, and journaling is a helpful practice to keep it in front of us. If we've got some words, more words coming in beneath them, maybe just do sort of a free association exercise with you. I'll give you the words that our, our Faith Radio family's texting in here, and, and you can just comment on them. This person wrote in and said, my word for 2022, this is Virginia now, is the word hope from Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just first blush reaction to that. I love that. I love that is one of my favorite scriptures, honestly, the God of hope that our hope is in God. I mean, I love that because sometimes we hope for other things. And to use that scripture is I'm not hoping for something good to happen. I'm hoping in God, our living hope. So love that word. I mean, there's so many things you can do with that. Yeah. So. I love, love that too, Vanessa. And, and I, I love the invitation in there. It's subtle, but it says with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is not the kind of hope that we can drum up ourselves. It, it really finds its origin in God. And as someone, you've been public with uh, a lot of the difficulties in which you've had to walk through in life and including miscarriages, including having your husband leave you and having uh, some difficult physical diagnoses. Did you experience some of that otherworldly kind of hope in the midst of the understandable sorrow that was taking place? Yeah, God God gave me a hope that was not in my circumstances changing, um, but a hope in Him. But honestly, what was hard about my faith is like, our, we had a son who died, and when he died, like my hope was that God was going to heal him. And so I really saw how 
you know, when you hope in an outcome, sometimes you walk away from God. And I think it, there's a tendency for people to think, God promised me that. I, I heard it. Uh, God owes me that. And when our hope is in what God is going to do for us rather than God, I think a lot of people get um, very disappointed or disillusioned with faith. And yet it was really through that, that God drew me back to him and kind of showed me your hope is in me because I will never leave you. And one day you will see all of these things, but the hope that will never disappoint is me. And so it was really kind of an interesting seeing misplaced hope in my own life mm. and then seeing how the hope of God really changes us. No, I think, Vanitha, that's such an important invitation because I think when we're going through these fires and these hardships, and I know you've written the book, Walking Through the Fire, uh, also the creator of Helping the Hurting, you're somebody who has seen these things firsthand. I, I think many of the people that are listening this morning are, are familiar with the, with the spiritual move that they make when they start walking through the fire that understandably we begin to question God's faithfulness, but God's faithfulness is not about him providing the circumstances that we think that we need. God's faithfulness is that he's a shepherd with us in the midst of whatever circumstances in which we find ourselves. And that the subtlety of that move that God never leaves us nor forsakes us is what's representative of his faithfulness, as opposed to, hey, I got the job and we want the job, or I got the relationship and of course we want the relationship, or we managed to have kids and many people want to have kids. Whatever the circumstances are, if we're judging God's faithfulness by the circumstances, we then fall into understandable doubt and maybe we walk away from the faith. But boy, to learn in the midst of the fire that God's faithfulness is that he is always with us, even in the midst of the fire, that's where we find those rocks on which to stand. Yeah, that's when our faith really gets deep. If if our faith is about God just giving us what we want, our faith is in just what we want. It's not in God. It's just that God is sort of this genie that gives us what mm. we need. And so when it when those things are stripped away, it's awful. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, it's this wonderful process, but <laughs> you find God at the end and it is so worth it. But yeah, it's really hard for, for listeners who are in the midst of broken dreams. It is not this romantic fun thing. It is heartbreakingly hard. And yet, as you cry out to God, he answers, he comes near. Yeah, those moments when you're when you're walking through the brokenness you described, it, it is a second by second thing, isn't it? I mean, it just seems yeah. to always be right in front of you and right before you. And you may go to a familiar place in the world, like a coffee shop or, or maybe a grocery store or whatever you otherwise would have driven to or, or been at prior to this moment of brokenness. But suddenly the world doesn't make sense anymore. You're in these same places, but the whole world has been disrupted around you. And that's why you really can only find this one rock on which to stand. Yeah. You know what? It's so funny that you mentioned that, Peter, because there is this sense that the world is going on. My world has just stopped. How are people buying coffee and how are people mm. doing these things when yeah. my life feels like it's over or, you know, it's, it, it is not going to be the same as it ever was. And it is this weird experience going back into the same places and everything else looks the same, but you're radically different. Yeah. Indeed. Vinita, we just have about 30 seconds left maybe a quick reaction to another text that came in word for the year from Royce is the word truth. Mm, truth. I love that too. Truth with the capital T like truth is in Truth is in Jesus. You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I think that's a great way to to build your life because the world says it's your truth or my truth or his truth. And there really is only one truth, and that's in Jesus. Now, Vanitha, thanks for the wisdom that you bring into this program, the times you've been on with Carmen and myself in the past. Your book, Rock, Walking Through the Fire, I can't recommend it enough for those that have to walk through hardship in this life. And that usually tends to comprise all of us. So have a great rest of the Friday and weekend ahead, Vanitha, and we'll catch up soon. 
Thanks. We'll take a short break for the 21st of January, and we'll wrap up our show with a few comments and a few more texts from you for Words of the Year. Your texts keep coming in. Julia's written in. Her word for the year is shalom. It shows up some 550 times in the Bible. It means wholeness, completeness, lacking of nothing, harmony within this world. And I love that word shalom as well because it can happen independent of the circumstances. We can get a shalom or a peace that passes all understanding. And that's part of what allows us to, as believers to shine the otherworldly light of the kingdom. There is a kingdom that knows no end. It is not under threat. It will not be compromised. It will persist and continue until the day that the Lord of that kingdom, Jesus Christ, returns and calls us all safely home. Until that time, let's keep gathering together like this on mornings. Carmen will probably be back in the host chair on Monday morning, and we'll continue to follow Jesus, fixing our eyes on him together. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.